All right, all right, all right. How you doing? Hey, have you ever heard the term shell-shocked? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Uh, this term was actually coined after World War I and World War II, where soldiers experienced mental and psychological breakdown because of all that they experienced during wartime. Uh, in fact, there's, uh, it became a word in the dictionary, and it's described as this, prolonged exposure to extreme exposure to trench warfare that ruptured foundational beliefs. So just the foundational beliefs of these soldiers, which provide security and foundation for them because of war, kind of shook it at its core. And so the result was trauma and stress and depression and all the things that go along with it. Probably a more popular term for us today is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's not just for soldiers. It's for anybody who's experienced anything traumatic. Surely we could use this term today based on the last six months of our lives as we've experienced some element of trauma through this pandemic, this worldwide crisis. So some of us are experiencing some PTSD because of all that's happening in, in the uncertainty of the future. So the military, in order to kind of combat this, developed something called the battle mind, trying to prepare soldiers mentally and psychologically to prepare for what might be ahead of them. Okay, so they would say things like, you know, hunt for the good stuff. Find good things that are happening around you in the midst of all the bad stuff. Don't catastrophize things. Sounds like a George Bush word, but it's actually a word that means don't blow things bigger than, out of proportion. Don't make things bigger than they really are. Stick with the facts and what you, what you do know. And so the reason I want to talk about this, obviously we're doing the Church Deployed series because this is kind of going back to our marching orders, our mission as the church. And I think that's what's happening in the church and definitely what needs to happen. We need to develop this battle mind because we are in a battle. Not just because of the pandemic. The church has been in a battle since its inception, the battle between good and evil, between right is wrong. You and I as Christ followers, we're in a battle. The Bible is very clear. We're in spiritual warfare. A lot of that has to deal with our old nature versus our new nature, struggling with the sin that once enslaved us. And understanding our battle mind, again, it's important to know that we are dead to sin. Okay, get that. You are dead to sin. So when sin comes up to you, just say, you're dead to me, right? It doesn't have any power over you anymore. It is not who you are anymore. It does not enslave you. It doesn't entrap you. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't own you anymore. You are dead to sin, but alive to God. That's the, the second important thing to understand that. You can't be dead to sin unless you're alive to God. So because of Jesus, those of us who have committed our lives to following him, belief and trust, claiming Jesus as leader and forgiver of our life. That's our new identity. That's our battle mind. So we fight this battle, even today with pandemic, with depression, loneliness, suffering, isolation. We fight everything that we fight in this life, spiritually and physically, from a platform of victory. We are not victims, we're victors. Romans 8, Paul says, you are more than overcomers. That's our battle mind. Now, it doesn't always feel that way. Can I get an amen? We struggle, we suffer, we get afraid, we get anxious, we get stressed out, we need help, we need counseling, we need medication. We we still deal with the world as human beings. That's our 
human nature versus our spiritual nature. And to be honest, some of the talking points, some of the encouraging words, some of the Christian cliches don't really seem to help, right? Some of us are here and inside we're dying. Maybe you're here looking for an answer. Maybe you're here looking for hope, just that something might spark a, a sense of encouragement in my life. And I'm glad you're here. It's a great place to come to receive those things. But we can't just stay here. We are a church deployed. We come here to gather together, to be encouraged, to pray for one another, to be open and honest with each other, to say, I'm hurting, I need you to pray for me, I need you to struggle with me, I need you just to be present with me sometimes without even speaking, that I might receive healing, and I go, might go back out and do what God's called me to do. And, and that's the new rhythm of our church, and I hope that that's a part of your spiritual rhythm, that you come together, whether online or on campus, Hopefully more and more will be coming on campus. We see numbers grow every Sunday. But that we can come for that purpose. We are coming together, as I said a few weeks ago, muster the troops together uh, to go back out and do the church. We're not going to church, we're being the church. And we're understanding what all that means according to Scripture. Because even with all this understanding, training, discipleship we've been through, there's this thing in the military called the fog of war. So you can have your plans and your strategies all in place, but then when war happens, things can change without any warning. In a moment's notice, in the blink of an eye, everything you prepared for doesn't matter anymore and you have to adjust. So this is the world in which we live in. And this is the, the world that the church faces. We have our marching order, we have our instructions, but let's be honest, sometimes when the battle heats up, we forget all of this. And we act like we're victims. We act like we're defeated. We act like the world has a hold on us. We act like Satan can control us. We act like we, sin still owns us, and we have to be reminded we have a battle mind. We think differently. We approach the world differently. We suffer just like everybody else. There are still Christians that get COVID-19. Christians still die from this disease. Christians still lose their jobs. Christians still get isolated and quarantined. But even when we face that, According to our battle mind, being battle mind ready, we face it differently than the rest of the world. We're, we still have hope and joy and even peace when the world just seems to be turned upside down. We know this, right? You've heard this. This is nothing new. Then why is it so hard to live out? Why, why do I still crumble? Why do I still get afraid? Why do I still get anxious? Why do I still worry? That's a great question. And I wish I could tell you. Is it because I'm not a good Christian? No. Is it because I, 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 I don't know the Bible well enough? Well, maybe you don't, but the reality, this is life. And we face life, and sometimes we just need to be reminded that we face it from a different perspective. This idea of shell-shocked can lead a soldier, can lead a Christian, can lead a non-believer to ask the question, where is God in all of this? I was listening to a podcast, a couple of pastors the other day, and it was, uh, they posted back in April, and so we were they were talking about this pandemic, and, 
And one of the pastors said, can you imagine if this thing lasts through July? <laughs> what are we going to do if this thing goes all the way through July? I wish it had ended in July. July is, we're way past July. So how do we handle it as a Christian? We've got a pandemic. We've got protests. We have riots. We have a political season. Our world is in chaos. I mean, America... <laughs> doesn't look like America right now. And you hear people talking about solutions, and, and we're in a political season, and you've got both sides saying, we are in a battle for the soul of America. You heard that? Whether you're Democrat or Republican, we are a battle for the soul of America. This election is about the soul of America. America doesn't have a soul. Just to let you know, people do. You and I have a soul, and the church has been in a battle for the soul of men and women since the beginning. So if you're looking for a political party to set things right, to bring hope and peace into your life, if you're looking for a slogan, if you're looking for whatever economic level to bring hope and joy and peace in your life, you're going to be sadly disappointed because it never will. For a moment, yes. For a while, yes. But then stress and trauma and depression can easily take over. This is why God has called us to be a church deployed. Not because we have all the answers, not because we have it all figured out, but because we have a hope that the world doesn't have. And this should catapult us out into the world. So we're going through the book of Acts. Actually, we've only been in Acts one time. <laughs> that was back in Acts chapter 8 when we saw the church deployed out of Jerusalem because of persecution to go out. And the Bible says, Luke records, as they went out, they shared the gospel. So that's us, right? Whether we're out because of a virus, we're out because of persecution, we're out because of the craziness of this world, whatever. However we're out, we're out. We should be out sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if there's ever a time the world needs to hear there's good news, it's now. Can I get a something? Yeah, right? Say something. Say something, say. No. <laughs> What's his name? Anyway. I was going to say I'm a huge Justin Bieber fan, but that's not Justin Bieber. What's his name? The things that say something. Come on. He's married to that girl. Who am I thinking of? It's going to bug me all sermon long if I don't get that. Um, used to be with NSYNC. Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, thank you. <laughs> Praise God we got that settled. Also a big fan right here. <laughs> oh, man. So wherever I was, let's go back to where I want to be. All right, so here before we get into Acts, I want to go back to Luke. We went to Luke 24 last week to talk about the disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, where Jesus appeared. And now we're going to pick up where those two disciples that were in Emmaus find the other disciples back in Jerusalem. So look at Luke 24, beginning with verse 35. This is what Justin Timberlake records. No, it's Luke, sorry. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So this is Luke's third post-resurrection passage. And the purpose of this section of his writing is to highlight the resurrected Jesus and the commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. The most famous passage we go through when we talk about the Great Commission is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. So this is Luke's version of that same commission as Jesus gives it here to his disciples. But it's interesting that he starts here dealing with reality, okay? The disciples are afraid. As far as they know, they've heard rumors that Jesus was alive, but the last thing they saw was he was buried. And so they're huddled together trying to figure out what to do next. And these two disciples from Emmaus show up and they start to, hey, all this stuff you've heard, this is true. He really is alive. We just saw him. We had, we had bread with him. He appeared. He explained the scriptures to us. It was amazing. And in the midst of this story, these guys are telling, Jesus shows up in the room. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. This is a beatitude. It's a blessing. It's not a cliche. I mean, just Jesus shows up. Can you imagine if Jesus just appeared here in the room? It would be a little unsettling, right? I mean, we know he's here in spirit, but if he showed up in a manifestation, we would freak out. And so that's what these guys are doing. So his first words are, peace be with you. He can say that because he's a resurrected Lord. He can say it with meaning, with feeling, because it's reality now. I mean, just think about it. Just the, the change that just happened. They're plotting, how do we get out of town? How do we get out of Jerusalem? The same people that killed Jesus, they've got to be looking for us. What are we going to do? And then the next moment, Jesus shows up and said, just relax, guys. Man, you talk about a roller coaster. In fact, Luke records, they, they still didn't believe it was him. That's what he says, I'm not a ghost. See my hands, see my feet, touch them. I'm not a ghost. That's what they thought. That's what probably we would think. This is a ghost. He says, just relax. Peace be with you. It's a greeting. It's a comfort. It's a beatitude. Jesus has shown up to, to tell them, inform them that the war between good and evil is over. The war of Satan and God is over. And this changes everything. World War II ended in 1945, all except for one man. It didn't end for this guy until 1974. He was a lieutenant in the Japanese Imperial Army, Hiru Oshama. And he was sent overseas to an island in the Philippines to engage in guerrilla warfare to take over an airfield and a pier that was substantial for the Japanese army in this battle. Before he went over, he was assured that Japan would defeat America. And his commanding officer told him before he had deployed to the island, we will come and get you. Well, what 
this lieutenant did not realize that a year after he left for the island, America defeated Japan. But this was before internet, if you can remember such a time. There were no cell phones. They had no way to get word to this lieutenant that Japan had surrendered to America. So for the next almost 30 years, this lieutenant conducted himself as if he was in war. Till about 1972, there was only one soldier left with him, and that soldier was killed. He was raiding a hut and was shot. And so now this one lieutenant was the only one left. At one point during that time, a B-17 flew over and dropped down pamphlets to announce the end of the war, but there was a typo in it. And so the men didn't believe that this was real. They thought it was just false propaganda. And so they continued to live in a wartime for 30 years. And they told the lieutenant, this is going to take a while, but we will ultimately defeat America. Of course, we know the reverse is true. Until 1974, when a young Japanese person heard about this man who had become a, a hero in Japan. And it was believed that he was still alive on this island, so he decided he would go over and tell the guy that the war was over. When he got over there, this lieutenant didn't believe him because he needed his orders from his commanding officer before he would believe it. So the guy went back to Japan, found the retired person in charge, got the orders, went back to the island, and finally convinced the man that the war was over. He came back to Japan a hero, a hero that had fought a war that it ended 30 years ago. This is the message some of us need to hear. We are fighting as if the war still rages. I know there are battles. We still fight battles, that old nature, new nature, sin, righteousness. That battle still goes on, but we don't fight it as victims. We fight it as victors more than overcomers. That hopefully should change our approach. Hopefully should change our outlook, our perspective, our world view should be different because of this reality. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Now the war is over. So now I'm sending you out. I'm deploying you as witnesses, but you will overcome. You'll fight the enemy. You'll fight those who don't believe, but you will overcome. Jesus gave them evidence to show that he's fine. He's resurrected. He's not a ghost, but also to reveal that God's plan continues. A crucified, resurrected Messiah was not an adjustment to God's plan. It was God's plan all along since the fall in the Garden of Eden. God planned to send his son. Jesus says, you can find that in the Old Testament. These are good Jewish boys. They knew the Torah. They were taught the law since birth. And he's highlighting the very fact that the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of them point to him. Jesus is the only one that's fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. There's no one else, and there's no one else coming. Again, Luke's purpose is to highlight that this is the Messiah. This was God's design all along. So the disciples in that moment, they are experiencing all that the Old Testament had been talking about. All that people like Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, David, all those guys wanted to experience what these guys were experiencing. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. 
Look at verse 40. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So the resurrection means the end of anxiety and our consideration of who we are before God. Wondering how does God see us, how does God view us, that's been answered in the resurrection. He sees us as precious to the point that he sent his only son to die for our sins and God raised him from the dead so that we can have life. So that's how God sees us. That's, that's God's desire for all of us that we'll receive this life that he offers. The second thing about the resurrection, it shows that we have power. The church has power and authority over the evil one in this earth, on this earth. We have all authority and all, the power, all power because it was in Jesus and Jesus gave, Jesus gave it to us. So when we fight against the darkness, when we push back against the gates of hell, when we overcome the evil one, we do it with authority, authority and power. Not as weak, not as wishy-washy, not as cowards, but as courageous. This is what it means to be committed rather than comfortable. We are committed to push forward, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we experience the fog of war, the fog of uncertainty that we all exist in right now. We keep moving forward. We trust what we know about God when we face times of uncertainty about God. Our son Ryan uh, is in pilot training. He's going to his goal is to be a commercial airline pilot. Two weeks ago, he did his first solo flight, a little Piper four-seater airplane. Uh, last week, he was supposed to fly a little further, like for an hour or so, but because the clouds were low and the rains were coming in, he wasn't allowed to fly because all he knows how to do right now is fly by sight. He hasn't been trained on the instruments. Once he's trained on the instruments, he can fly through clouds or fog, or when he can't see with his eyes, he can watch the instruments and know how to fly and stay safe and Nothing bad happens. There are times that we face the fog of uncertainty in our lives, certainly now. We don't know how long this thing's going to last. We don't know what's going to happen once it's over. We don't know how much devastation it's going to ultimately cause in our world. We don't know if there's going to be a vaccine or, or what, when it's coming out. There's a lot of uncertainty. So what do we do in times of uncertainty? Well, we state a lot of cliches. We buy a lot of t-shirts that say things that seem to make sense. We give answers that we don't have just so people believe that we know what we're doing. No. You stick to what you know. You stick to the instruments, right? You follow the instruments. God never said, hey, I'm going to give you this roadmap so you can see in advance what's going to happen. He said, no, but I'm going to assure you that you can trust me one day at a time. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That ought to be a song. And Justin Timberlake ought to sing it. Right? 
you know God to be faithful, do you not? You know God to be a God of his word, do you not? Like the Japanese imperial commanders, they didn't keep their promise. They didn't go back and get the lieutenant like they said they would. Jesus has promised us he will come back and get us. And we know that he will. Why? Because of the resurrection. Jesus said, look, I told you guys, the Messiah must suffer and die. I told you that the temple that would be destroyed in three days will rise again. Why didn't you believe me? On this side of the resurrection, we know that we can trust Jesus because he keeps his word. He will never leave us or forsake us. He has provided a way. For those who will claim Jesus as the leader and forgiver of their life, we receive the gifts of the Spirit. We receive the blessings of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit of God. It gives us life now, but also eternity. So that we might live the life of a Christian. The minute we give our lives to Jesus, that's the beginning of the journey. And we walk that journey with Christ. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We walk with Jesus. We may not always recognize him. We may not always understand what he's saying, but we have that assurance that he is with us. And just like these disciples, he has promised to open our eyes. At first they didn't believe because of joy and amazement, Luke said. They were just so overwhelmed, they couldn't even really believe that that was him. They had to be whispering, is that a ghost? Is that reality? So you know what Jesus does to show him he's not a ghost? He eats a meal. Ghosts don't eat meals. Have you ever seen Casper eat a sandwich? You guys know who Casper is? Okay, if not, look him up. Don't look him up. Right? So just bottom line, Jesus, I'm going to make this very simple for you guys. Hey, pass the bread. But just like at Emmaus, it's a revelatory meal. I'm eating this. This is going to flash back to the last supper that we had together which is going to highlight the fact that I told you that this bread from now on, when you break it, it's going to resemble my body, remind you of my body that was broken for you. When you drink of this cup that we always drink of at Passover and we always drink at a regular meal, whenever you drink of that cup at communion, you're going to be reminded of my innocent blood that shed for you. And when you remember those things, you're going to remember that you are victorious in me and that I have overcome the world. Thank you, Jesus, because the world is jacked up. And honestly, Jesus, I love you and I believe in you, but I'm a little freaked out and afraid right now about the world. I just lost my job, Jesus. My relationships that I found security in are gone. I'm isolated and quarantined away. I can't even get to people. I need to be around people. I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. I need to be around people, and they're telling me to stay away from people. This is tough. Please don't act like this pandemic is easy. So Jesus tells them the Old Testament, broken into the law, prophets, and the Psalms, they've all been talking about me. I told you the Messiah must suffer, be raised. So Jesus said, I've accomplished that part. Here I am. Now here's your part. And this is what he says to us as the church. Now you have to go preach this. You have to go tell this. This is your mission. This is your commission. 
you, the church, you are witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. He's talking to us. We didn't see him like these guys did, but we know that he is alive. That's the assurance. That's salvation. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, and God raised him from the dead. That's the beginning of belief. That's the beginning of our faith journey with Christ. And he said, it's important that you understand this, that the desired response when people hear this message is repentance. We have to be so careful. We're really good at saying you need to ask Jesus into your heart, right? But we can't leave out the word repentance. It's a turning from our sin. It's a turning from our idols. It's a turning from ourself to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you're not willing to take up your cross and die, then you're not worthy of me. That's pretty harsh. Well, I thought Jesus was love and Jesus was invitational and Jesus wants to say, yes, he does. But you have to understand what is required of you. Turn from your sin to follow Jesus. Well, I did that once at youth camp. I did that once in front of the church. Well, no, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> repentance is not a one and done. It's an every day. I, I live a life of repentance and confession of my sin. I realize that, that I don't have to have a habit of sin in my life because Jesus died to give me victory over that. Then why do you have a habit of sin in your life? Paul said in Romans 6, how shall we live in sin if we are dead to it? Did you not know that just as you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were buried with Jesus Christ? That the old nature may die. This is paraphrasing, all right? But now in Christ, you have a, a new nature, a new identity, a new life. This is the message. The desired response of people is repentance. Now, not all will. Many will reject this message. But repentance leads to forgiveness. That you might repent of your sin, that you might experience the forgiveness of God. This is how you break away from the power of sin in your life. Not that we don't still sin. Not that we don't still make mistakes, but it has no power over us. So what is our job as the church in the midst of a worldwide crisis? Preach the good news of Jesus Christ, that those who hear it might repent and receive the forgiveness of Christ, just like you once did. So we live from a platform of victory. We live in a platform of forgiveness. Therefore, sin has no hold on our lives. Even when we don't do it right, even when we freak out in a pandemic, even when we doubt and question God, we still live in that platform of victory and forgiveness. This should be our mindset. This should be our battle mind. And then he says the disciples will be clothed with power from on high to be able to do what he calls them to do. And we'll talk about that next week because you, again, you are the church in authority and power because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us. Um, yeah, so here's the challenge. That just this week at some time, to at least 10 people, just share the goodness of God that you've experienced over the last six months. 
Let's just start with that conversation. Hopefully that will lead to some conversations about Jesus. But let's just, let's just share with people. You know, I know this has been a rough time for everybody, but let me, let me share some of the good things I've seen God doing. Not just within the church. Let's, let's share that with those who are outside the church, who are not believers. Let's just start that conversation. I really believe this whole idea of the church deployed just starts with being a good friend, with being a good neighbor, being hospitable, caring about people. We'll get to presenting the gospel later, but let's, let's just start today by just caring for people that God has connected to us. And start by just sharing good God stuff with 10 people. Let's pray. God, you are good. You're good and you're sovereign. You're good and you're in control. And honestly, Father, it doesn't always look like that. Even the confidence that we have, the, the assurity, because of the resurrection, the assurance that we have that you are, sometimes circumstances can deceive us. Sometimes our eyes can deceive us. And we can lose hope. We can act like victims. But we realize you are a God that is bigger than our circumstances, bigger than any worldwide pandemic, bigger than any fear or anxiety that enters into our mind. So God, I pray that what I sense you have been doing all these past six months, that you will continue to do to give us that battle mind, to be able to look and see where you are moving in our midst, and by that gain confidence and courage and that you will help us as each of us who are in your church to accept this commission, and that is to go to all nations to tell the good news of Jesus Christ and let that start in Burleson with the people who live on our street or the people we go to class with or the people we're online with, that we might be your witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited next week to learn how you have filled us with power to do just that. In Jesus' name.